the biggest thing that drove me into app development was, well, two things. So one, I read an article on Lifehacker that said, um, this is our perfect to-do list app, right? And it had like all the things that they wanted in an app and they would be like, this is the perfect one. So in my young brain, I was like, right, if I build this app, you know, that's a million dollar idea. They've given me the blueprint. Let's go do it. Podcast Chunkies, episode 282. Welcome back. I'm your host, Harry Duran. If you're new to the show, it's the one where we talk to interesting voices in podcasting and dig in a little bit into their backgrounds and what's inspiring them and what made them want to create the show and whatever else we get into in these conversations, which is so much fun for me. In case you missed last week's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to Dino Cataneo, host of Authentic Leadership for Everyday People. Make sure you check that out if you missed it. Really love the inspiring conversations Dino is having with leaders from business of all walks of life on his show, and he's a great interviewer. This week, I speak to Rob Joseph. He's the host of Coffee and Coding. It's a show that provides interviews and insights with experienced developers across all aspects of app development, including topics ranging from Flutter, cybersecurity, freelancing, Android, and iOS. And in this episode, we discuss his background in coding, the inspiration to launch the show, and the freedom that comes with freelancing and how it differs from running your own business. Rob shares his process for curating meaningful interview questions and his decision to launch a podcast about, wait for it, podcasting. (laughs) We had a laugh about that, and I'm always a fan of shows on the same topic because there's so many different varieties of perspectives that are out there, and I think the more the merrier to help grow this industry in a positive way. It's all a good thing. This episode is brought to you by Focusrite and specifically the Scarlett 2i2 sound card, one of my favorite go-to sound cards, something I use for each and every podcast recording. The 3G line is a go-to for all new podcasters. Find out more at podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right, and the link will be in the show notes as well. If you enjoyed this episode or past episodes, I would love it if you leave a rating and review at ratethispodcast.com forward slash podcastjunkies, and I'll be sure to read those out on future episodes. If you're listening to one of the apps found at newpodcastapps.com, then you should not be surprised to see a boost button or a contribute button or a donate button, which means you can actually right now pause and send some Satoshis this way. And it's a direct contribution to this show without any middlemen. It's fascinating. I've talked about it in past episodes, this idea of connecting your podcast to this network. If you haven't done so already, check out the great work being done at podcastindex.org and listen to the podcast in 2.0 podcast with Dave Jones and Adam Curry, both of whom I wish to have on the show in a future episode. So I'm working on that. Stay tuned for more. Make sure you stay to the end of the episode where I reveal this week's retention hashtag. But for now, let's get into this conversation with Rob and a cup of coffee. So Rob Jay, host of Coffee and Coding and Inside the Podcast Studio, thank you for joining me on Podcast Chunkies. Thank you very much for having me. So uh, best place to start is how we got connected. And uh, you, you did an outreach, and I've been trying to ensure I have all channels of communication open with my audience. And a lot of times people will, will reach out via Twitter, DM, or uh, email, as you did. Yeah. <laughs> so. I'm wondering what prompted you to to email. So talk a little bit about that. Sure, sure. Um, so, so I'd been listening to the show for a while, and 
I guess so. One of the things that I found from doing both of my podcasts is a big part of um, kind of getting your word out there is getting on podcasts that talk about a similar thing, right? So I have a podcast about podcasting. So where are the audience for those people? Well, they're the people that listen to podcasts for podcasting. So I just started reaching out to podcasters who I like their content, and I was like. I don't know if I have anything to bring to the table, but if you think I have something to bring to the table, then I would love to do the show. And to me, email is always the easiest thing, mostly because I'm not huge into social media. So I just drop people an email and then and then you were very cool to reply. So I think the only tweak I would make on that for you for future reference for future offers is just don't sell yourself short because you said, you know, I don't know if you have, I have anything to offer, but yeah, because that's going to basically say, okay, this, you know, Rob's not really, <laughs> doesn't yeah, really know yeah, what he's going to yeah. talk about. So yeah. just, you do have everything you've talked, you know, it's on your site. You talk, you're, I think on 30 plus episodes with, with the coffee and coding podcast. And so mention that that shows consistency and then talk about like all the work you've done as an app developer. So just from day one, just be comfortable that you feel like you can add value because that's what hosts are looking for and considering like, is this someone that will tell an interesting story? Is this someone that will inspire my audience? Because that's why we coach clients on this as well, just to be constantly thinking, whether it's solo content or interviews, by virtue of me having it, was this something my audience will appreciate? Yeah, that's awesome. I appreciate that feedback. So I think because I, I kind of realized that I'm not sure the exact email I sent you, but I know after a while I started pitching people because I heard on a podcast they were just like, be specific, right? I want to come on your show and I want to talk about, you know, this is how to do an interview. And so then someone can read that and be like, yeah, I want to talk about that or they don't. And then that way, so I started thinking about, all right, what is it that I know that I'm comfortable with? Like, I'm pretty good at this. This is, I think I could help people. And I started pitching that. So I'm not sure exactly which version of the email that you got, but that feedback is really useful. So I appreciate it. Yeah. And I think what I've been doing that's been helpful for me is just to make sure I have a, a mechanism for sorting and filtering and tagging like emails because I get a ton of stuff related to not only this podcast, another one that I host, the agency and some other projects at some point in, inbox zero gets harder and harder. Oh, I could imagine. Yeah. Yeah. I use a tool called followupthen.com. It's, it's an interesting tool. So I could reply to an email and say, two weeks, two weeks at followupthen.com. And then it sends the email and I don't see it again for another two weeks. Nice. nice. <laughs> so that's been helpful. Yeah. I do the same thing with um, Gmail. I hit the snooze button, but my issue is always I'll snooze it for like a week and then I'll leave it in my notifications for another week. And then at some point I'll accidentally dismiss it and forget. And then that never gets replied to. So your approach sounds much, much better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so talk a little bit about your entrepreneurial journey. Uh, did, did it start with the work you're doing as an app developer? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so pre, so straight out of university, which is like 2011, I got a job, which I didn't want. It was an IT consultant job, which is essentially IT support. I didn't want it, but everybody I knew was like, oh, this is really good money. This is the most money I made at your age. So let's take the job. So I was like, all right, cool. I got there. Why don't you want it? Uh, because so my thing has always been, I know that I don't like working for people. And also I know that I like to do things. So what I've learned from doing app development, which is why I've, I've only ever done contracting, I've never been full time, is because I like to do things and take them to a certain point and then it gets boring for me. And so then it's like, right, I can, if, I, if I'm a contractor, it's totally acceptable to be right. Like I brought you here and now I'm going to do this other thing and somebody else can come in and pick it up. But in a full-time job, you don't get that. Like you don't get, if you're the employee, you don't get that kind of, um, what do you want to do? You get told what to do. So this is interesting because it's a topic that's come up a lot. And obviously with everything that's happening with COVID and 
employers, companies, traditional companies having to be forced into the situation of remote work. And now the genie's out of the bottle, right? Because everyone that had the job and experienced it just didn't realize that it works and companies are realizing, oh, this is great. Or companies are really freaking out, especially if they're in, they come from the, the old school way of thinking like everyone's got to be in their cubicle. So I'm curious. And if you don't mind me asking how old you are, because I, I think it's in, as a reference point, generally, generally, um, generationally, I think it's been interesting to watch. And so you said you don't like, it wasn't attractive to you to, to be thinking about working with for someone as an employee on a, on a regular basis. So had you had that experience and it just realized it wasn't for you? So I had had it as a teenager in, you know, like you work in a coffee shop or you work in a bakery. I worked in a bakery. I worked in a, a warehouse where they sold like uh, electrical goods. And that was okay to a point where working in a warehouse for me was great because there was no managers. Like there were managers, but they weren't watching you. So it's like, you let me do my job. And then if there's downtime, I have downtime. I don't have to like, you know, go and do busy work. And then when I took this job, the first job that I had, like proper job, quote unquote, first week, I was like, I don't like it. But there was, there's this, at least I feel like there's this stigma where if you get into a job, I was being told, you know, you have to stay X amount of months or years before you leave because your next job will ask you, why did you leave? And it doesn't look good to be like, well, I left because I didn't like working for somebody or I left. Yeah. So I stayed in that job for 18 months. And during that time, I started to teach myself app development as a hobby and then I quit that job and I was like, right, I want to do app development. I'm going to give myself six months. If I can't make money doing it in six months, then I'll go back to get a job. And thankfully it panned out. So, Yeah, that's very interesting. And I think what makes employers nervous, because I was, I was in corporate for 20 plus years. And then, okay, <laughs> so I've got that experience of being the employee and then starting to get promoted and then being the manager. And so this idea of managing and then the idea of like, at one point I managed a team of 11 and I had them all like sitting in front of me. So I was, I had the desk in the back and, and I had two managers helping me with like split the, the workload. But it was interesting because they could, they could immediately come to me if they had a question. And, and if I wanted to talk to them on something, I could. So it's, it's been interesting to think about that. And you, you said something about your, your warehouse job, this idea of let me do my job. And so, and, like I said, with this podcast, it just goes where it goes sometimes. Yeah, no, go for it, go for it, yeah. How does an employer manage that relationship with someone who's in your shoes, who's saying, let me do my job, and they're saying, how do I know that, you know, I'm paying you for a full set of hours, you know, whatever they're paying you, like, how do I get that comfort level or that confidence in knowing that you're someone that uh, is, you know, is, is a man of their word and is, is going to say what they do and, and takes their takes their job seriously and and appreciates it. I'm curious about that. Yeah, no, I totally get it. So I think a big part of it, so really the question is like, can I trust you, right? Can I trust that you're going to do this thing? But I think something that you said there, which is interesting is it used to be, and I think to some degree it still is, it's like, I'm paying you for eight hours a day. So you're going to give me eight hours a day. But in reality, it should be, I'm paying you to do this thing and I need this thing done by Friday. Now, if that takes you an hour or if it takes you 18 hours, I'm paying you for the same thing, right? And it gets to this point where it's like, if you don't like your job, then you could say like, yeah, I've worked 16 hours today, but I've only done an hour's worth of work as opposed to somebody else. You could say, I've done one hour's worth of work and done the exact same amount. So you should hire me for the same thing. So I think a big part of it comes down to trust. And that's a big reason why I like being a freelancer is because 
you don't have that, you know, what are you doing? Have you done this? Have you done this? You get to say, right, you're going to give me this task, I think, based on my experience, which is essentially what you're paying for is my experience. You're not paying by the hour because what takes me an hour actually took me five years to get to the point that it could take me an hour, right? So it's like, you're paying me to do this thing. I'll tell you, right, I think it's going to take three days and then you pay me for the three days and I do the work. So I think, yeah, the biggest thing comes down to trust. And I think if you have an objective way to measure do you get the goal that you want, which isn't, I don't want 20 of your hours. I want something specific. If you have a way to measure, right, I want this thing. And then at the end of it, you get this thing. Then really the in-between doesn't matter whether I did it, whether I paid somebody else to do it for you. And just in, like, it doesn't make any difference whatsoever. Yeah, that's a really good point. That's, that's something I think I've learned to do because I've had my business. I've been fully remote since 2015 with this business. And you're using tools like Slack and you know Dropbox, and it's really just a function of just trying to understand how much you can do on your own, and you can use tools like Zapier and automation to help with a lot of those. And then when you start to hire, thankfully, I I was listening to podcasts early on about procedures and SOPs, and so we document stuff, so we write procedures. So if people can follow instructions, then to your point, you know, I have a team in the Philippines. You know, they're obviously 13 hours ahead, and you know, the rest of my team is fully remote. So it really, to your point, becomes a function of, do you have clear instructions as to what you need to do next? And are you clear how your progress is measured? And then if so, then to your point, if the things are getting done, you know, this idea that people are supposed to be in at 9am and leave at five and work five days a week, every single person in the world like would work on that schedule. <laughs> it sounds funny to say out loud. But 100%, it's, yeah. it's how it's been for, you know, a couple of centuries. <laughs> yeah, no, totally. And also to that point, one of the things that I realized is, so I wake up early, right? I wake up, say, six o'clock. For some people, it's not early. For me, that's early. And between like six and say 10 a.m. in four hours, I get done a ton of work. If I had to go into an office and work nine till five, I would probably do less work in those eight hours than I get done because that's my most productive time. So to your point, yeah, definitely, you know, saying, all right, everybody's going to do the same amount of work and work the best between nine to five. It just makes no sense. Like that, that's definitely a very, it's a convenient way of thinking previously because you couldn't have employees turning up at 6 a.m. or turning up at 11 p.m. at night. But now, like what you mentioned with COVID and remote working, like people can work whenever they want. If you want to work 3 a.m. till 7 a.m. and you get the same thing delivered, like why would there be a restriction on that? Especially remote as well. Now it doesn't make sense. It's like, you're not even in the same space as me, but I want you to work on the same time as me, but we're also not going to talk that much in between. So like, why, why does it make any difference? How many of your peers would you say are of the same mindset? Oh, that's a really good question. Probably I would say like 50%. And yeah, I think around 50%. So one of the things that I notice a lot is I'll go into a new contract or in, like a new gig and there'll be people working there and eventually you get around to the conversation of you know how long have you been freelancing for how long have you been freelancing for and there'll be people that have just been freelancing for a year and they always say i'm never going back to being an employee they always say that but i, I think it's um like in terms of mindset they also i know that they act like an employee so for example i know one person who left their job to become a freelancer and they're really good at their job but they've been a freelancer every day from the day they quit their job, which was years ago till today, right? At the same company. So it's like, okay, you're a freelancer, 
but you work like you're an employee so you don't get the benefits you don't get you don't take time off you don't switch projects and and a big part of that is security i think they feel like it's safer if i stay in this contract but yeah so i think it's probably like 50% i'm definitely out of all of the the people kind of in my circle i'm definitely the most outspoken in terms of that kind of stuff cuz if i meet somebody who's really good at their job and they're in a permanent job I don't tell them to quit their job, but I always give them that slight nudge. Like, have you thought about doing freelance work? Because, you know, when you do it, you will not want to go back. So, yeah, and I think there's an important distinction between freelance and then deciding you want to start your own company and becoming an entrepreneur. Because I think there's, there's a couple of tracks there. And I think to your point, you could, if freelance is working for you and you're successful and, and you're comfortable doing it long term, then by all means, you can keep doing it and you'll probably know when that might turn into a bigger business because as an entrepreneur there's other challenges that you know working with a team hiring people you know firing people working with clients and get, looking for business sales marketing and all that sort of stuff that becomes like other challenges yeah so question for you then so you have your own company right at what point does or at what point did having your company go from you know an entrepreneur freelance like i work by myself to suddenly this is a business because i imagine the the starting months or maybe years is very much the same as if it was just because it's just you right so where where does that kind of start to bridge off into like oh this is an actual company now yeah i think at the point where you realize you're doing tasks that are not in your zone of genius as like one of my coaches likes to say so basically there's four types of tasks those you're incompetent at those you're competent at those you're excellent at, and then you're genius. Nice. And so the first two, you sort of get off your plate, like fat stuff you shouldn't be doing. And even like having someone like clean your house, like, like okay, like, yeah, let's have someone do that. Excellent is those things that I just learned, you know, I can do. Like, I know how to do electronic music production. So I'm definitely not a uh, dead mouse, <laughs> but I can like, I know what I'm doing there. I know a little bit of HTML and CSS, but I'm not like a, a web designer. So sometimes like, like, and then this is the example I used months, years ago, I had something that I needed to fix on my website and it's just taken me hours. And I was just like, just, you know, just really going crazy. And then I called a friend. I'm like, Hey, this is your wheelhouse. Can you fix this? And, and to your point about what I was paying for, I think he fixed it in like five, 15 minutes. <laughs> and I've heard, uh, there's a, a previous guest of the show, Cliff Ravenscraft. He's very popular OG podcast. He talked about this as an example, like how I think it was an electrician or something. Some guy was like paying like a couple of hundred dollars an hour and the electrician came over and he like flipped one, one knob or something like that. He, like he was out of the house in like five minutes and the guy's like, am I paying you like the full hour? He's like, yeah, of course you are. <laughs> Cause you're like, what you're paying for is those like 20 years of experience, you know, that I, so that I can fix that. So it was really interesting for me. And then I saw, oh, that's his genius. And so now when I think about things, I think about an opportunity cost because, you know, I charge like $500 an hour if I'm working with like clients or consulting sometimes, you know, just that's how I, how I value my time. And when I think about that, I want to make sure that anything that's not my genius, I figure out like what my hourly is. And, you know, for other people, you know, it could be less. And when you're just getting started, even thinking about something that's $50 an hour, or $100 an hour, if you can pay someone less than that to do it, you should probably do it. And I know there's trade-offs with where you are in your business, but that's how I started to think about it. I'm like, well, these are repetitive tasks. One of my friends in, in the productivity space, Ari Mizell, he, he talks about when you're thinking about 
repetitive tasks. You think about it as optimizing, optimize, automate, and then outsource. Nice. So the first thing you want to do is when you have a repetitive task, otherwise no, and we call them standard operating procedures or SOPs, you start to document. And so when you're by yourself, you're like, I'm noticing there's some things that I do that I could probably hire a VA, you know, and then it's pretty easy now to get VAs in the Philippines. And we've been, I've been working with our team for about five years, but you write those down. And then when you feel like they're pretty clear, you give them to someone and say, Hey, would you mind doing this? And if they can do it, you know, they, they won't get it right the first time. Because you think, like, you know that if you did it yourself, you're like, you know, especially if you're into like uh, detail and, and, a, and a bit OCD like me, you're like, oh, no, I would have done it differently. But let them try and then they'll get, you know, 60% of the way and then you're like, okay, not this, but this. And what I found with like VAs is you have to be, there can't be any room, any gray area. It has to be black or white, like like a binary choice. And if they have something to think about, they'll they don't want to make a mistake. So they'll come to you and be like, Hey, is this how you wanted it done? And that slows down the process. So all that to say, just those are the kind of steps I think about. So when you think about processes, it's optimize it, then you automate it. There's tools like Zapier, IFTT.com that let you do repetitive tasks. And then, and only then if you've fully automated everything, then you outsource. And then you're like, Oh, okay. You know, I, I think I can give this process to someone to do. So just, those are some of the things that I was thinking about as I was growing. Yeah, no, that that totally makes sense. Yeah, that definitely se separates it out. And I think, yeah, to your point, once you have a list of, you know, you can, here's the steps to do this and it, and somebody can follow it, then I feel like that's the point where you've got to, I'm a business now and I'm not just me because, because otherwise everything is just you. Right. So. Yeah. 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 So how did, of the things you wanted to get into, why was app design attractive to you? Really good question. I think I fell into it by accident. So I've always been like a tech guy, right? And I did a degree in computer science and I got a job in IT, which was not coding at all, but it, you know, it's fine. And then um, while I was doing that, I basically got my first Android phone, which was, you know, one of the very first Android phones. And it was also my first. So I had a, like an old school, you know, button phone until probably like 2010, right? So everybody had whatever the iPhone was in 2007 and I still had this thing and I was still playing Snake on my phone. And then I got this new Android phone and I was like, all right, cool. What can I do with this? And the biggest thing that drove me into app development was, well, two things. So one, I read an article on Lifehacker that said, um, this is our perfect to-do list app, right? And it had like all the things that they wanted in an app and they would be like, this is the perfect one. So in my young brain, I was like, right, if I build this app, you know, that's a million dollar idea. They've given me the blueprint. Let's go do it. So I started to kind of learn app development from that. I didn't really make a dent in it. It was like, I can kind of remember what I did. It was horrible. But what it taught me was that I could do some of it. And then what basically happened was I started having things that I wanted my phone to do that it didn't do. And I was like, all right, cool. Let me see if I can build an app for this. So one of the things that I remember was I used to go on the train to work in London and in London, if you're on the underground at rush hour, you're basically like, you're all like squashed in like sardines, right? So I would get messages on my phone and I've got headphones on because I'm listening to music or a podcast, but I can't get to my phone, right? And I can feel it going off and it's really frustrating. Your phone's going off, somebody's calling you or somebody's messaging, you can't do anything. So I was like, I wonder if I could write an app. So if I get a message, then it will just read it to me on my headphones because I've already got headphones on. And so I figured out how to do that. And that was kind of the thing that started it off. And that app is actually still out today and like I still use it. So that's pretty cool. But then there was other things. So, you know, I wanted to be able to send picture messages, but I didn't want to pay for it. So then I figured out basically to build an app where it would upload it to Google Drive if you're on Wi-Fi and then it would send a text message with the link. So I didn't have to pay for text messaging and with pictures and so all that kind of stuff. And that kind of got me into it. And then after a while, I was just like, this is what I want to do. 
And that was kind of, you know, the evolution. And then I quit my job and decided that I'm going to give it a go. So. And these apps are similar to the Apple store where you sell them for like 99 cents? Yeah, yeah. So initially, so all the first apps I released were free. And what was really big back then, which is like 2011, 2012, is you'd have two versions of the apps. You'd have one that was free and, you know, it would be called the light version. And then you'd have the other one, which would be called the quote unquote pro version that you pay for. And so, you know, the light version is missing some features and the pro version is $1.99. So I didn't make, I didn't really make any money from it. I was probably making, you know, at the start, I probably made like $100 in a year. And then the next app I released, I was probably making like, you know, $100 in a month, which was cool. And then I released one app that did pretty well. I don't know exactly how many make, how much money it made, but it made like a few thousand dollars in like a couple of weeks, right? But that was a drop off. So it's not like you're a millionaire. It's like you made, you know, $7,000 in a couple of weeks. Nobody's ever going to buy the app again because everybody that wants it already has it. So that is kind of the same thing, but um, it was much more like financially viable to work for other people and let them pay you to build their ideas as opposed to coming up with new ideas and hoping they took off. So, you, you know, you start building these apps and then you're starting to feel more comfortable as a freelancer and then you go out and start, is it basically Fiverr at that point or you, where do you find gigs? So I got pretty lucky. The first contract, I don't remember how I came across these guys, but it must have been either at a meetup or on a web forum no, I actually do remember, I tell you a lie. So it, there was a website, I don't remember the name, but it was one of these kind of things like Fiverr or something like that. And they'd posted, they were looking for someone to build them this app. And I replied to it and I'd replied on loads of things, you know, Fiverr, Elance, all these things. And I wasn't getting any business because I have zero views. And so nobody wants to deal with me, but I also didn't want to build things for like a month for a dollar, right? To get the reviews, which essentially is what you should do. So I got lucky and I found these guys, they were in London, I was near London. So we actually met in person and that was kind of the interview process. And then they started from there. And then my first, you know, quote unquote, proper um, freelance gig, because that was still like extremely underpaid for what I was giving them, was just I went onto some job websites and I searched for contract roles and I applied for all of them. And these guys messaged me and they were like, are you interested? I was like, yes, it was a startup. I went to see them. They asked me a couple of like technical questions, which I could answer. And they were like, all right, cool. And then that was basically it. And I feel like at least in the app development space, once you have one, then you're good. You can go to the next one and say, I did this. And then you can go to the next one and say, I did these two. But it's always the first one. That's the, the difficult one to get. Yeah. Your portfolio then starts to speak for itself. Yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now fast forward a little bit. When did podcasting come on your radar? So podcasting in general came on my radar, like I was listening to podcasts from 2008 or something, like when they were still MP3 files that you had to copy onto your MP3 player and then list the, that was then. Yeah. So I've been listening to podcasts, like when I work, I was always listening to podcasts. It was always different things, you know? So at the start I got into like Pat Flynn and um, a bunch of those sorts of shows. And cause I was like, I'm going to make a million dollars, you know, I'm young and I had to build websites. Smart passive income. Yeah. Yeah. And then it kind of was the evolution from basically whatever I was interested in at the time, I'd find all the podcasts about that. And then the, the actual idea to start my own podcast, I probably had that in like 2016, but I'm a huge, huge, huge procrastinator as you can tell, cause I didn't start it till 2020. So that's kind of where, yeah, the seed was planted a long time ago, but the impetus to do it did not happen for quite a while. So what was your thought process? And, and this is coffee and coding, right? So what was the thought process to the extent that you gave it a lot of thought or <laughs> it could be something you just, you know, decided by the seat of your pants, but talk a little bit about that, what, how, what you were thinking at the time. 
Yeah, so I approached it pretty much the same way that I approach my apps, which is I build stuff that I want. So I really wanted to listen to a show that was about app development, but it wasn't technical. I didn't want to listen to a show where someone was talking about code, which there's already a lot of them. I didn't want to listen to a show where they were just promoting, you know, Android is great or iOS is great. I wanted to listen to something which was kind of like how I built this, but for app development, right? So it could be how I built this app, but it could also be how I built my YouTube channel about app development or how I built my cybersecurity career. And that's, that's kind of how I was looking at it. And I couldn't find anything like that. And to this day, I still can't find anything that's similar. So that was the thought that was always in my head, but I just never kind of got around to doing it. And then, you know, COVID happens and everybody's sitting at home. And I was like, all right, I'll give it a go. So I just started messaging people on LinkedIn because I feel like LinkedIn for that was the best place because they could see my portfolio. So they'd be like, right, this guy is an app developer. He's been doing it a long time. He knows what he's talking about. And I just messaged random people that I didn't know. And I'd be like, you know, do you want to be on this show? And there'd be this long winded explanation about this is what the show is about. And what kind of gave me the push to do it is I messaged a guy called Mitch Tabian who has a YouTube channel with like probably a hundred thousand subscribers at this point. And he does Android, right? He does like tutorials. So I messaged him on LinkedIn. I was like, Hey Mitch, never spoke to him before in my life. To be honest, I hadn't really watched his videos either. I just kind of knew of him. And I was like, do you want to be on the show? And he replied and he was like, I'll do your show if you get to 10 episodes. So I was like, all right, cool. And I wanted him to be on the show. So I was like, right, I'm going to do at least 10 episodes. I'll get him on the show. We'll see how we feel after that. And that's that's kind of the, how the whole thing unfolded. But really, it was the same for Inside the Podcast Studio. It's just like I built or I created shows that I couldn't find because I wanted to listen to them. And then I just put them out because hopefully if I want to listen to them, somebody else also wants to listen to them too. That's a great story. Who was the first guest? Because I feel like we always need to shout out the people who took a chance on us early on. Oh, yeah. No, 100%. So... I remember his first name was Andrea. I can't remember his his surname, which is terrible. But I'm sure if you go on my LinkedIn and you search for it, you would find it. But um, he was the first guest. And I don't even know if he was the first episode. I think he was the first person that I interviewed. He, I might have dropped him in like um, episode two. The first guest actually was a, a guy called David Cruz, who I'd worked with before. And when I met him, he was learning Android. So I was working at a company he was doing web development or something and they decided they needed a new Android guy. So they're like, David, you start doing Android. And so I remember coaching him up a little bit and then I left and then I saw him on like Twitter or something two years later. And, you know, he's an Android guy and he's got his own coding courses. And I was like, this is cool. So that was, yeah, he was the first guest. Um, but Andrea was the first person that I interviewed for the show, which I'm sure if anybody goes back and listens, it's not a great experience. So, Well, I think the important thing that you did as late, even though you started later than you said you would have liked to, is just this understanding that you're... 10th episode is going to be better than your first and your 50th better than your 10th. But if you don't get the reps in, you'll never know what you did wrong or cringe. Even, you know, we, we talk about Pat Flynn, like I've been at, a, at conferences with him and we've been, he, he's talked about, uh, he's played like his first clip of his first show. And, and I don't know if you've heard it, but it's hilarious because it's like a rock, it's rock heavy metal music. <laughs> it's, he sounds super awkward. And like, he doesn't even know what to say at the end of it. So it's funny to hear because I think it's important because I, everyone that's starting is thinking about it. was going through that as well. How did you think about the interview process? And did you have questions or were you, did you feel like you were just going to wing it? Or did you know what you were going to talk about? 
Yeah, so when I started, I would have questions. So my interview kind of question process has always been the same. I Google the people, I see if they've written any articles, I try and read them, I see what they're posting on Twitter recently, because, you know, maybe they want to talk about that. I go on their LinkedIn, and then I always tried, for Coffee and Cody, not so much, because most of the people hadn't done podcasts before, but for Inside the Podcast Studio, I'd go and listen to as many interviews as I could find that they did because I didn't want to ask the same questions that everybody else asks. And I also, there's always stuff like, you know, we'll have this interview now and somebody will be listening and be like, you know, I really wish Rob expanded on this. I really wish Harry said something about this. And so I listen for those things so I can get them in, in my show. But when I started, it was basically, I'd have a list of questions. I'd send them to the guest because I felt like you have to tell the guest what you're going to ask because, you know, I was new at this. So I was like, all right, let's check. So I sent it to them. Are you happy with this? They always say yes. And then, you know, that's basically where it would go. And it wouldn't be, you know, question, answer, question, answer. I'd try and make it conversational, but there would always be, I kind of want to get to a certain point. And then after a while, I realized that I was doing interviews where I had a list of questions because there were things that I wanted to talk about. But to somebody listening, it was like a random conversation. There wasn't like, this episode is not about one thing, or you're not going to get one thing out of this episode. You're just going to hear me talk to somebody for an hour and, you know, maybe you'll find it interesting, but most likely you came here because you want something and you're not going to get it. And that's kind of when I switched my process a bit to try and figure out, like, what is the story of this episode that I'm trying to tell? So, you know, what is the point that I'm trying to get to? And like, yes, I want to dig into things that are not app related. And yes, I want to go off on tangents, but I want somebody to listen and it kind of have this coherent journey so they could go and tell somebody I listened to episode 12 of Rob podcast and it was about this as opposed to I listened to episode 12 of Rob's, Rob's podcast and he talked to Mitch Tabian and you know it was good I can't really tell you what they said because I don't really remember it wasn't that specific but it was good to, so that that's kind of how the process evolved over time. Where do you think that inspiration to move to that type of format or approach came from? Having bad interviews I think yeah. Like, I don't know if bad is the right term, but I had interviews where, you know, it would be like this, like you're having a conversation, it's going great, and neither person feels like they're forcing it, or there's not like these awkward silences where you're waiting for the next question. And then I'd have interviews where I'd ask a question, and I'd get, you know, three sentences back, and it's just silence. And then I'd ask the next one, and within 10 minutes, I've done my list, right? So, and now it's like, right, so then you get this awkward position where it's, do I put this episode out because I asked this person to be on the show and they've given me half an hour of their time, but I know it's not good. And I know like, I can't even come up with a title for the episode because there's nothing there. So what do I do with that? And then, and so at some point I was like, what separates the ones that are really good from the ones that are not? And it always came down to, there was like a story. There was a clear journey. You know, I'm talking to somebody, they have a YouTube channel. I want to talk to them about the app development like journey all the way up to how did you start a YouTube channel? And then I want to dig into how do you do this? Because somebody listening might want to do the same thing. And then that's kind of where it came from. And so then I'd start writing down questions and then I'd start trying to group them together and be like, right, these questions around this topic, these questions around this topic, you know, what's going to be interesting? What can I lose? And then now it's like, I try and come up with the title of the episode before the episode and not because specifically I'm going to use that title, but it's because I want to have in my mind, like, this is where we're going. And then, you know, if it goes somewhere else, then that's fine. But I feel like listening to a, a coherent audio, like for me, at least listen to a coherent audio is much better than, you know, listening to something else. You know, you can listen to Joe Rogan and in three hours, he's probably got like, three coherent stories and then loads of side tangents that they go off on and maybe you're interested maybe you're not but I feel like 
that's okay because it's really long and you don't concentrate for the whole time. But if somebody's going to give me their attention, I want them to feel like they're getting something out of it. So That's very well put. I think that what you said earlier, like what's the story that I want this episode to tell? I think that's really powerful. So that's a really nice approach. Yeah, I appreciate that. I mean, that's kind of how I thought about it. And then, but then the issue that I came up with is like, all right, it sounds great. But then when I start writing down these questions, I'm like, oh, how do I figure out what the story is? Because I don't, I, like, it's hard, right? And, but the, the easiest way that I came up to do it was, you know, what's the story of the episode is really what's the point of the episode and what is the thing that I'm trying to get across? And then that's where if I came up with the title before, it makes it a much clearer, this is what the story is or this is what the point is, as opposed to trying to figure it out without having that. I feel like when you have that, you know, five word or seven word thing, it's like when they talk about podcast descriptions and um, there's a great book called uh, Make Noise. And in the first, yeah, in the first like chapter or second chapter, they like try and distill your podcast episode down to 10 words, right? And if you can do that, then it's really clear, like this is what the podcast is about. And so I feel like if you can apply that to guests or episodes, at least for me, it makes it really clear in my mind, like this is why we're here. And so let's get into this thing. I always think about what it takes to hold an interview for three hours, right? And I, it's been a while since I listened to the episodes, but I, I have gone through entire episodes of Joe Rogan and naturally for me at probably two plus X. So, <laughs> cause I have to, uh, just to try to get through it and getting harder and harder to find the time for those. But it feels like it's as, as much of a skill set podcasting and it is of itself. Solo is one aspect. Interviews is another. And we just touched upon like, what you need to do in order to up level there. But I feel like long form interviews, like like something like three hours would be, it's almost like you're, you're uh, like a, a physical exercise <laughs> and a mental exercise because you have to p- be speaking to someone interesting to your point, but then you have to be able to continuously follow threads and follow threads and go deep and put yourself in, in the, in the mind of the listener. Yeah. I would find that incredibly hard. Like I do hour long interviews And I have like a a list of topics or questions and that kind of guides me, but it always comes like, they're always things that come up and you want to talk about, and you have to make this decision. Like, do we have time to go down this rabbit hole? Because I want to talk about this. And the thing that we're talking about isn't related to podcasting or it's not related to app development. So I think, you know, the three hours gives you time to do that. But at the same time, yeah, to your point, you have to be listening, you have to be engaging, but you're also thinking about like, oh, I have to remember this thing because I want to ask about that. Oh, and I also want to get to this thing later. And yeah, for me, my brain doesn't work like that. Like if the guests gave me, you know, one minute answers, I could follow the threads really well. But once they start getting into, you know, 15 minutes and showing PowerPoints and videos and like, I forgot what you said 29 minutes ago. I know it was awesome, but I can't follow up on it. So yeah, yeah, Joe does a great, anybody who could do that is that's just a whole different skill set. How would you say, given where you're at with the Coffee and Coding and then with the second show, how have you improved as a host? So a couple of things. So one, I'm way more comfortable because for me, like what we're doing right now is just normal, right? Like day one, it was super weird. There's a stranger on my screen is expecting me to ask him questions, is expecting me to be engaging. I don't really know what I'm doing. I need to look around the room because, you know, my notes are over here and all that kind of stuff. So I feel like I'm much more relaxed with it. I think I've gotten much better at, I try not to have questions. I try to have topics, but I also try to have So I usually just have them on my phone and they're kind of off screen here. And I always tell the guests at the start, like, I've got my notes, they're here. I've got them over here. So if you see me looking over here, I'm listening to you, but I'm not bored. I'm just, you know, ticking stuff off my list. So 
I think that helps. And I also started doing things where I made it like uh, when I was a child, used to have goosebumps and they used to make these goosebump books, which was like a choose your own adventure, right? They still have it now. They have like stuff on Netflix, which is like that. So I used, so now I start to kind of make questions where I'm going to ask the guest about this thing. And if their answer is boring, you know, so let's say I ask how many downloads did you get for your podcast? And like, oh, I've only ever got five. It's like, okay, well, if you said I've only ever got a hundred thousand, we'd dig into like, how did you do that and stuff? If you say you got five, like it's like people listen, five downloads is great, but that's the end of the conversation, right? We'll move on. So now I have like a kind of choose your adventure. If they answer this, we'll go this direction. If they answer this. So that also helps with the kind of awkward silences and trying to like not essentially not waste time. I think the best thing that I've got is gotten at is not wasting time. You know, if I know the answer to a question, I won't ask you it unless it's really, really interesting, then I'll ask you. Or if I need to ask you that question to lead into something else, I'll just say the answer. So I'll be like, you know, hey, Harry, you know, you've got 280 something episodes of this podcast and you've done this and you've done this and you've done this. So tell me about this as opposed to previously I'd waste 10 minutes asking you like how many episodes of the podcast have you had and how long have you been doing it? And it's like, that's all just a preface up to the next thing, right? So I think that's probably the thing that I've gotten best at. Yeah, it's an important reminder to always have the listener in mind and and also to not waste your guest's time as well, because if they've been doing it enough, they'll know like who is dialing it in as a host and who's taking a genuine interest in actually, you know, it's almost like, we have a limited amount of time on this earth, so let's make the most of it. So if, if we're both investing an hour of our time into this conversation today, let's let's discover something that you know you didn't know or I didn't know or the listener didn't know. And I think that's always fascinating to think about it from that mindset. Like what could we unpack? To, you know, to your point, what's the story being unfolded uh, in this conversation? Yeah, 100%. And also, like you just mentioned, you don't want to waste their time. And if they think you're phoning it in, most likely they're going to phone it in, right? They're not going to be super enthused for questions that they've answered 40 times, maybe in the last week even. So it's like you want to get the best conversation from them. You want to get the best content for your guests. Like personally, I want to have a great conversation because that's why I do it. So, you know, why would I ask you questions that I know the answer to? Because I listened to you on another interview today. So if you can skip over all of that, and then you get to the the good stuff, then that also is the guest will be like, you know, oh, that's a great question. Or I've not, and I've had experiences like that on the show before where it's like, well, that's, uh, nobody's asked me this before. And it's not because, you know, I'm this amazing interviewer. It's just because I paid attention. And I was like, well, this is an interesting thing. And I haven't heard them talk about this before. So let's, you know, see where that goes. And then again, if they, if I ask them and it's really boring, I've got my choose your adventure. Let's skip to the next question. So. I love that choose your own adventure. That's really, really. Uh, did you pick that up from someone, or just something you came up with on your own? No, I came. I mean, I stole it from Goosebumps books, and I'm sure they stole it from somewhere else. Yeah, but in terms of podcasting, no, I kind of came up with it on my own, just because I was. I had like a the first one I did for inside the podcast studio. I had so many questions to ask the guests. And while I was doing it, I was like, all right, let's separate them into like, this is important. I want to ask this because the guest, like the listeners will like it. This is less important. Let's see if we've got time. And when I was doing it, the guest was really good at, on, like he was like a professional podcast guest, right? So I'd ask him one question and he's answered my next five questions in one go. And so after that, I was like, right, I need to come up with options because I don't want to be, you know, we're talking to each other right now. I can see you on the screen and now I'm just staring at my phone and I'm just scrolling like, where am I? Where's my, so that's kind of where that came from. And then, yeah, I like to make references to things that I already know because it helps my brain understand this is what we're doing. So yeah, that's where Choose Your Own Adventure came from. Yeah, we had Choose Your Own Adventure 
and Encyclopedia Brown. <laughs> nice. Okay. Yeah. 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 And, uh, but I remember the Choose Your Own Adventure books. Those were really fun. So why another show about podcasts about podcasts? Yeah, I know. I know. I know. So there's not enough already, as I'm sure you know. <laughs> um, so I guess, so I did Coffee and Coding. I started it in, I think it was like May 2020. And I ran it till January, some point 2021. And the reason that it stopped was because we moved house. So I didn't have anywhere to record. I didn't have any guests lined up and also doing a weekly show because my intention was is going to be a weekly show. So I'm going to do one every week and it really puts you under pressure. Like, have you got a guest this week? Have you got a guest lined up for next week? If you haven't got a guest, what am I going to talk about? Because now I have to come up with solo topics. And so in that whole process of not having a show because I'd paused it, I started listening to, I mean, I'm always listening to podcasts about podcasting, right? Because I want to make mine better. So I'm listening to, you know, Buzzsprout's got some great podcasts and, you know, you've got your podcasts and all these different ones. But I didn't hear any shows talking about like um, essentially coffee and coding for podcasting, right? Like I want to listen to people going behind the scenes of their podcast, but I don't want the episodes to be about your podcast and I don't want the episodes to be about you. I want the episodes to be about what can you teach me or the listener that you have learned from your podcasting journey? And I didn't find anything like that. So that was essentially, I was like, right, I can't find it. I'm just going to start my own podcast. And I was going to do like a, a limited season run, right? So I'll do 12 episodes and then I get my fix of podcasting. I get my fix of the show that I want to listen to. And if it goes well and I want to do it, I'll carry on. And if not, you know, there's this thing and it lives forever and people can go and listen to it. So that's kind of why I started the second one. And then it, it went really well. Yeah, I mean, when I say really well, it went really well by I got a lot of really interesting conversations and I learned a bunch of stuff. And I've had good feedback from the people that are listening saying, you know, they really enjoyed this show. So that was kind of how it started. And then right now I'm recording for season two, which again, I have no idea when it's going to drop because time wise, it's like, well, how do you, I want to get to the point where I have the season ready. So I'm not under pressure each week. Like, oh, I got to get next week's episode out. So whenever those are ready, that will come out. But that's kind of where it started. Yeah. And just for a point of clarification, when you were searching for a podcast that goes behind the scenes with interesting podcasters you didn't find one until of course you found my show and then you're like oh okay that's <laughs> right 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 so this is the thing so this is the thing right so when i started searching i found your show i found a bunch of dave jackson shows i found a show called the podcaster's journey which was the closest thing that i could find to what i wanted to listen to I found so many great shows but it was still like this thing where i wanted to talk about so so the thing that it started with and this is what i was pitching people with before i started the show was I want a show that goes behind the scenes where we talk about how many downloads do you get? And if you make revenue, like, how did you do that? How did you grow your podcast? But really like a practical tips, right? So, you know, I started my podcast on this date and I, you know, I posted to Instagram and Twitter. And I did this and I did this and less about what is your show about or tell me about yourself because like, I like those topics and we do get into it, but really I wanted it to be, if you have a show about fishing and the listener could hate fishing and still listen to that and be like, I've got a lot of value from that. So, and also I, I'm also of the opinion that people don't start podcasts because they're like, I don't want to start podcasts about podcasting because there's already 70 of them, right? Like Harry has an amazing show. Why should I do? Like, why am I better than Harry? And I'm of the opinion that it's not about better. It's about different. And it's like, you know, people love listening to like your show, but that doesn't mean they wouldn't love listening to another show. 
And also, at least for me, the thing with podcasting is I don't pick and choose, right? I don't just listen to one show about, you know, cooking. I will listen to seven shows. Why should I just listen to one? Like the same thing as movies, you know, oh, I don't just watch, like, I don't just watch John Wick. I watch John Wick and I watch The Matrix and I watch, you know, something else. It's like there's variety is a thing and you don't have to pick and choose. So that's kind of the route that I took. But saying that, if I had found a show that was exactly what I had in my head, I would have just listened to that and I would have saved myself the trouble for sure. But it does, it's a good reminder, and, and I tell folks this all, all the time, you could take f- five hosts and title, the sh- and actually title the show the same, like five, title the same, and you're all covering the same topic. And just because of people's human experience, you're going to have five different shows over time, like in the beginning, because you're going to decide, oh, I want to I go interview these type of people. And, you know, I'm sure there's a, probably no overlap in like the guests you've had, or maybe some in the guests I have in terms of, because we're just we have interesting threads, you know, that are that I want to learn about, and it may not be interesting to you as a host. So you wouldn't interview that specific person or just because of like, me doing it so long, like people reaching out to me, and I just like, Oh, that would be curious. Like, I think about like, scratching my own itch when it comes to interviews. And I want to think about it from a perspective of like, would that be like an interesting use of an hour of my time? Would is this a conversation that would be like, entertaining and insightful and and you know it's something that i'm curious about or i just i've I've read enough or you explained enough for me to be like oh this you know because i get like pitches a lot <laughs> so and you can tell when people just dialing it in there's like our ceo talks about marketing and would be a great guest for your show and i'm like oh. yeah i get that too and i'm like neither of my shows are about that so it's definitely not a great fit but if i can ask a question how like so you've done you know 280 something episodes so how has the your podcast changed from what you intended it to be? Or has it changed? Like, is it exactly what you imagined it would be at the start? I would have to say it's pretty much what I imagined because the reason I started it is because I didn't know anyone in the podcasting space. Oh, okay. And I went to a conference and I saw Pat Flynn speak. I saw Amy Porterfield speak. This is New Media Expo in 2014, January. And I came back. I, so speaking of apps, I worked on a mobile app with, a, with friends of mine for electronic music because that's my like one of my first passions. Like turntable and vinyls and DJing. So it was called Know Your DJ. The website is still up for some reason. I don't know. The .dj domain is like the country of Djibouti okay. in Africa. And so I guess they don't have really good moder- like <laughs> admin because I haven't paid for the domain in like years. So if you go knowyour.dj, you'll see the mobile I'll app. Check it up. out. Awesome. Cool. But uh, so I was like, oh, I wanted to start a podcast so I could interview DJs so I could promote the app. And so I went to the conference and I quickly changed my mind. And I'm like, oh, what about all these podcasters here? I remember a show called Inside the Actor Studio. You know, I was like, oh, like, what about that? But for podcasting, where you can get to spend like and, and get to know. And my first reach was someone who was speaking at that conference, Chase Reeves. So he gave me the solid of being my first guest, really fun guy. So now I bring him back every 100 episodes. So he's been on one, 100 and 200. And we're coming up on 300. So he just comes back on the 100th episode. <laughs> no, that's awesome. That's awesome. Nice. Okay. So yeah, I mean, so, I, and then I started interviewing folks like Dave Jackson, Elsie Escobar, like the OGs, because I thought in 2014, like I was late. And so, and I was like, who do I want to speak to? And then when you start getting those early interviews, you can see people see who you've spoken to. And I've just now it has it as, I have it as a platform and I've been honored to speak like to some really great podcasters and people at Google about podcasting. And it's just been a fun platform. Hernan Lopez from Wondery has been on a couple of times. So it's just, uh, just, 
you know, it's now it's a, a platform for me to decide like either friends that I want to catch up on that I didn't get to see at conferences that we're not going to. And it's like, Hey, come back on. Like I want to like jealously, I like, I want to catch up with you. <laughs> and so let's just do it on the air. So it's been a, it's, it's just a wonderful platform. And if I'm doing it right, usually that, that hour of time in my week is one of the, you know, is usually the ones that give me a smile because I'm like, Oh, that's some, I know when I, if I've done it right, when I'm done with the hour, it'll have been a, a good use of both of our time. Yeah. All right. If I can meet, meet that bar. So. <laughs> well, we've been going this long, and that's a good sign when you just feel like you look at the time, you're like, whoa. Yeah, no, definitely, definitely, yeah. And I, I was going to say, on what you just said, say so it basically sounds like your podcast acts as like your podcast portfolio, right? Because you mentioned people can go back and look, and that's literally, it's like LinkedIn, but for podcasting. It's like, oh, you've had this person, you've had, I want to be on, I want to be on the show. That's awesome. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A couple of questions as we wrap up. What's something you've changed your mind about recently? Oh, that's a great question. Not super recently, but so in the podcasting space, something that I've been persuaded against, which, yeah, I guess it was like confirmation bias. I kind of thought it and then people were like, yeah, this is, this is right. But something that I changed my mind about is that in terms of podcasting, something that I've learned is you don't have to follow, like there's no rules to podcasting, right? But everybody still feels like, or at least a lot of people still, you know, you have your intro, you play your music, you say what your show's about, you go into this, you go into the episode, here's your ads, and you don't have to do any of that like I always give the the analogy that you could have an hour-long interview and you could chop it into five minute episodes if you wanted to which is crazy and there's no reason to do that at all but if you could you could do that and somebody out there will be like this show is awesome I can't wait for the next five minutes so that's probably the thing at least in podcasting that I've changed my mind about I'm thinking about that like the logistics of that like you literally like and you cut people off mid-sentence yeah you too. would have to yeah. <laughs> just yeah. no outro music no nothing. yeah it's like the ultimate cliffhanger <laughs> That would be different, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I don't, don't encourage anybody to do it. But if you wanted to, you could. And that's definitely because I was very of the opinion that, you know, you have this set format. And also, once you start down this road, this is how you continue. Your podcast always has to sound like this. And it absolutely does not. So, Yeah, there's so many examples. Uh, I've had Mignon Fogarty, who have Grammar Girl, who's got a whole network of shows. Like, they're all five minutes. Yeah, okay, <laughs> so nice. Yeah, Quick and Dirty, I think, is the is the network. And then you've got Joe Rogan on the extreme of three hours. And it's just whatever it's almost like that have the mindset of a musician like what the avant-garde musicians are the one that release the experimental albums with like you know a 15 minute track and then like two three minute tracks so and um tom webster talks about this as well and i think eric newsom a little bit in the book but it is what you say it is and then it's your job to make it interesting and compelling enough so people will listen to it and be like this is different okay i'm gonna check this out and you develop your own that's how new formats get started anyway. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, that's, yeah, exactly. Otherwise, you're just a copy of somebody else's show, which is like, it's not true. The content is different, but you can be as outlandish or not as you want to be. So yeah. What's the most misunderstood thing about you? Oh, that's a very good question. I think, well, the thing that's most misunderstood about me is actually where I'm from. So I'm from the UK, but my mother was English and my dad is Indian. So, but the thing that's most, yeah, that's probably because everybody either asks me or they just assume. And the things that I get is like, oh, you're Turkish or you're Greek or you're Mexican or you know, I've, I've had somebody convinced that I was Jamaican before. And it's like, you know, no offense to any culture, but if you ask him what's most misunderstood, that's probably the thing that springs to mind is because nobody ever, apart from actually my partner got it right first time, but that was, she was the only person who ever got it. So. And that's how you know she's the one. There you go. There you go. So it's fate. What's interesting about that is you could have 
had another career as an actor, and then you would have been able to play all these roles. See, if I had known if I had known sooner, then that might have been the direction I want. I could just apply for anything and be like, "Yep, I'm that. I can I can pull this off." But yeah, found out too late, unfortunately. Yeah, I get that to some extent because I was born in El Salvador, so I get a lot of the Latino stuff, but I get the Greek, the Italian, <laughs> Armenian. <laughs> yeah, I think it's based on like people's references, right? Like they'll look at you and they'll be like, "Well, I know somebody, or I've seen somebody, and they're from here, so probably you're also from here." Because yeah, otherwise I don't understand how you get such a wide range of of like totally unrelated cultures. Well, Rob, as always, these go by pretty quick when you're having an engaging conversation with someone who is also experienced enough to know that it's important to keep the conversation going. So kudos to you also for for uh, doing your part. Appreciate it, and kudos to you because you've done an awesome job. And there's been no awkward silences, which <laughs> which I feel like when when I talk, sometimes I just stop abruptly, and there's always opportunity for that. So yeah very, very masterful. I think the key there is active listening is how I've heard it described. And like intentional curiosity. Like, yeah, that's a great way to put you it. Have to, you kind of like, if you don't give a shit, then <laughs> what's the point? <laughs> you're like, oh, you're just dialing it in. But I think you have to just be genuinely curious and understand that everybody's got a story to tell. You know, and some people just need a little prompt and a little nudge and, and feeling that they're in a safe space. And then, you know, you'd be surprised how, how they could open up. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that. And I also think to that point, also, I think people need to kind of feel like you see them in, I don't know if in a certain light is right, but you know, you're on my podcast for a reason. And I want to talk to you about this thing. So it's okay if you talk about this, because to everybody listening, and to me, you are, you know, the expert, or you have the skills or whatever it is. Because otherwise, yeah, I've definitely done shows where they just answer like it's a job interview. And then it's, and it's really hard to convince, like, you can't stop and be like, no, 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 you are the expert. Like, tell us, tell us. So, yeah. Well, I want to thank you again for taking the time and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And if you want to share where folks can learn about both of the shows and uh, anywhere, anywhere else you want to point them to. Yeah, sure. Um, so really appreciate you having me on. If people want to listen to the show, coffeeencodingpod.com, all the stuff is on there or inside the pod inside the pod.co i always get that wrong inside the pod.co all the stuff is on there twitter links to the show all that good stuff and if you want to find me i'm at low carb rob carb as in carbohydrates because that's a whole different story um everywhere on social media so you can find me really easily there well thanks again for your time i really appreciate it i appreciate you thank you very much thanks again to rob for coming on the show much appreciated when guests take time out of their busy schedules to tell their story full show notes yes we still write them at podcastjunkies.com forward slash 282 Intro and outro music composed by my longtime friend, Cedar and Soil, cedarsoil.com for his full list of music. And don't forget to check out our sponsor, Focusrite, and their awesome line of gear, podcastjunkies.com forward slash Focusrite. I put these links into these show notes and I read them out specifically on these intros and outros because I can't tell you how much I really appreciate the support of the sponsors for this show. So please, if you want to support the show, another way you can do that is to make sure you check them out as well. Podcastjunkies.com forward slash focus right. If you're looking for help with your podcast, learn more at forecast.co for help with your show. Tune in next week for my conversation with Eric Johnson. He's the host of Follow Friday, a podcast about who you should follow online. Every week he talks to creative people about who they follow and why. And he's the founder of Lightning Pod. Make sure you tune into that one. Okay, you've made it this far. The retention hashtag is coffee with Rob. That's the hashtag. Tag Rob at lowcarbrob and us at podcast underscore junkies. Thanks for all you do to support the show. Talk to you next episode. Love you guys.